This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm your host, Dakota Arsenault, and this episode is presented by Aesthetic Magazine. Today, I am joined by Sammy Felchenfeld once again, and we are going to discuss all things MCU. That means the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the upcoming Disney Plus shows, and where everything might be headed. Uh, We're recording this right after the weekend of the D23 Expo 2019, and it comes on the heels of Marvel announcing their full slate of Phase 4 films and beyond, and so we have absolutely tons to talk about, so I want to keep this introduction as short and sweet as possible. So Sammy, very quickly, how are you? I'm good, and I'm ready to talk Disney, as always. Great. Enough with the informalities. Let's get to the formalities. I think the first thing we really need to touch on is everything that's happening with Marvel. Uh, We last left after Endgame. We knew that uh, Spider-Man Far From Home was coming out. And then other than that, there was a complete blank slate of what else was coming. There was a lot of rumors of potential sequels, what's happening with movies like Doctor Strange and Black Panther and Guardians of the Galaxy and Captain Marvel, all these sort of franchises that seem to have the ability to keep going forward, but we're not sure exactly where it fits. And sure enough, right after Spider-Man Far From Home came out, they dropped a a mother load of information on us. Was it uh, a bit more than you were maybe expecting them to come out all at once, or were you sort of expecting them maybe to, to drop this big bombshell of everything? Uh, I was expecting the bombshell only because that's what they did for phase three. And then I specifically remember Kevin Fahey specifically said, close to Avengers Endgame coming out, he said, I I wish I didn't reveal everything um, all at once. So what they they did then, that was 2015, early 2015, they announced all the way up till 2019. This year, they've only announced the next two years of movies and TV shows. So I think they did. They basically did. These are all the things we're currently filming, or or in the or finished filming, or like the, all the things they know they're making. Because one of the things they did last time was they announced Inhumans was going to be part of the the film series, and then it became a a TV show we all like to forget. So I think this time around I fully expected it. And the one thing I will say is that pretty much everything was rumored every movie was rumored so nothing was a huge surprise especially because black widow was already filming when they announced it yeah that is true i think i think there maybe were some surprises i i know that there have been different rumors floating around about where would they go and i think some people weren't sure how progressive marvel was going to be both with their choice of characters and how um unknown some of the characters that they would choose to be leads and so i think there was definitely some debate of the 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 truthfulness to these rumors and then sure enough we get a ton of information some of it we know a little bit about and some of them we know almost nothing about and i think it's going to be really fascinating so i think We'll just go in order of what the release date calendar looks like, with the first one being Black Widow. Uh, I believe that is what they're going to call it. Um, it's going to be directed by Kate Shortland, who I'm not actually familiar with her work. I know she's done a bit of stuff 
in the past, but this is going to be the first Marvel movie led by a... Oh, wait, no, never mind. I was going to say female superhero, but that was uh, Captain Marvel, so I am already uh, incorrect on my very first point. But we know, obviously, it's going to star Scarlett Johansson, who's played Black Widow since the very beginning, but it's also going to have David Harbour, Florence Pugh, and Rachel Weisz, which is a really interesting supporting cast, and it's going to be coming out May of next year. Do you think it's about time we're getting this? I know we're going to get a little bit spoilery right now, but... Black Widow died in Endgame. Why are they choosing to make this movie now? Uh, they've been wanting to make it for a long time. And specifically Scarlett Johansson after the first Avengers was like, this is a movie we should make. And it, it seemed like the powers that be at the time, which was less so Marvel film and more so the head of Marvel, who uh, Ike Perlmutter, who now doesn't have control over uh, Marvel film and actually isn't in charge of Marvel. Anyway, you can fact check that for me fact check that for me after anyway um the decision was made to make the black widow film uh like so late into or into development of phase three that, that i think they were just like we're gonna make this anyway we know it'll be good and i as far as anyone's concerned as far as i know it's a prequel it, like it's set before she even joins the avengers officially that's my understanding i don't know if that's 100 percent true um but i think it's like I, i'm gonna be honest this next phase is really weird and black widow is the movie i'm the least interested in um but that's only because i feel like her story is kind of played out to a full completion like you said i think this movie can be interesting if they sort of revert back to some of the the middle uh, MCU films being more genre films and so they make Black Widow more of uh, a Cold War spy thriller sort of like uh, the, the second Captain America movie Winter Soldier was I think then that could be really interesting because as far as we know about it it's about uh, Natasha Romanoff getting spy training in Russia and there are other spies and so when we first got introduced to Black Widow back in I think it was Iron Man 2 we weren't really sure if she was uh, a good guy or a bad guy and that sort of played out eventually so it'd be interesting if there's a little bit more ambiguity to that character. Yeah definitely I think I think like you said it's just going to stand out as a sort of its own um, its own type of movie i think that's a type of movie they wanted to make but it's also in my opinion it's a bit of a palate cleanser from the end of of phase three especially with like um with endgame with spider-man to just have something where it's a it's a recognized character that everyone knows but have it be a, a bit of a different story mm -hmm. and without and without being bogged down by continuity because basically the last five marvel movies really if you didn't see at least a couple of the other ones there's a bit of there are parts that were confusing Oh, absolutely. And, and this can kind of maybe play some lip service of things to come, like a little bit of foreshadowing for her character, uh, where if you've seen it as like a hardcore fan, you've seen every movie, you'd probably recognize and appreciate those details. But I can definitely see there being little to no real continuity, uh, except for the fact that it'll probably get retconned into the MCU for future films. Yeah, much in the same way Captain Marvel being set in the 90s kind of is. Mm -hmm, absolutely. So the next movie coming out is The Eternals. Now, I'm going to admit this is one that I know absolutely nothing about. Uh, it's going to be directed by Chloe Zhao, who did The Rider last year, which is a really interesting pick. And the cast is absolutely stacked. It's going to be a big ensemble film starring Angelina Jolie, Richard Madden, Kumail Nanjiani, Brian Tyree Henry, Selma Hayek, Gemma Chan, and Kit Harington, which was 
he was just announced to be joining the cast at the end of D23. He was rumored and then confirmed. And this is going to be coming out November of 2020. Do you know anything about the Eternals and what their story might be about? Uh, not really a whole lot. Um, usually Eternals stories, they're, they're meant to sort of take place at any time during the, the, um, during the, the time frame of the Marvel universe. Um, in a lot of cases they tend to just be the same age forever. So the, what I've seen is people are talking about that this movie is going to be set like thousands of years ago, um, and be very like it's set on earth, but like, uh, all these celestial beings and stuff. And really, like you said, it's going to be, it's probably just going to be a big flashy, um, just a bunch of just a bunch of cool, attractive people with superpowers. Um, but I think that they've they've done this in sort of a little bit in the vein of Guardians of the Galaxy. We don't really know what it is, so it can be whatever they want it to be. Um, and I think that that there's a lot of benefits to that. Looking just at the people involved, I have a hard time sensing what sort of tone this is going to take. Like I look at the cast and director of Black Widow and this is probably that's probably going to be a pretty serious action flick whereas I look at this and you've got people that have some action pedigree of people like Angelina Jolie, Selma Hayek, Kit Harington, even Gemma Chan a little bit but then you also have some seriously funny people people like Kumail Nanjiani and Brian Tyree Henry are they what are they trying to go with it because you look at Guardians of the Galaxy and looked at that cast and it could be nothing except for a comedy which it mostly is whereas this they really seem to be going in two different directions at the same time and Chloe Zhao is a very naturalistic director who has only one film under her belt I believe and it was a serious drama yeah I think I to be honest I think what they're going for is just something so different with a cast that'll draw people in um and i think i don't know i think that that they're lead like the cast and everything is sort of leaving it up for for people to decide i think it's just going to be uh like a i think it's gonna be a fun entertaining action movie that again has no continuity baggage so um they'll with a cast that size you can't have a ton of character based pieces but but you still can like there's still a lot of components of it that i think can be really interesting um and also sort of like salma hayek is playing a character i'm reading on the wikipedia that ajak is the leader of the eternals but angelina jolie is being billed as the top billed star possibly because she might be the biggest star amongst the group although i'm mostly excited for richard madden but um yeah, I don't know. I think it's it's going to be a big question mark, and I think based on its timing, we're not going to see a thing for it until Black Widow even comes out. I think it's going to be a bit, not shrouded in mystery, but I think that they're going to take their time because it is a brand new property. Yeah, I, I have no idea what to expect, and, and I think this might be one of the ones where it doesn't gross over a billion dollars because there is no familiarity with it but i could still see it being reasonably successful despite the fact that no one knows what is going on with this which is basically the marvel format going forward yeah exactly and i think one of the things um that that do have people excited at least about this um about the eternals is that um the character richard madden plays icarus has sometimes been written as a gay character not in all the volumes but in some of them so they might find that as their way to shoehorn it shoe, shoehorn in the gay character that kevin Fay he keeps saying is coming but hasn't yet so i don't know we'll see mm -hmm. yeah we're gonna get we're gonna touch on that a little bit later but it definitely seems like through this phase they are really 
kind of putting all of their poker chips into the middle as far as having real diversity. You look at uh, all the different stars involved. You have a lot of females leading the way, a lot of people of color. We're hearing of a few possibly queer characters. We're having directors of female and, and people of color as well. And so it's really interesting that they're kind of going all in as making this as close, inclusive as a universe as possible. I mean, better late than never. It really is. And, and it, it's unfortunately that we had to wait until everything was safe that they could finally go this route and they had to wait until Wonder Woman truly paved the way for them as far as having a female lead. But it looks like they're they're finally on board with that and they realize that as long as you have a good story and, and an interesting film to watch, people will show up regardless. Yeah, exactly. Um, so moving on, the next one, you know, I, I knew nothing about the Eternals. I know even less about this next one. It's Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. It's going to be directed by Destin Daniel Cretton, who did uh, Short Term 12. He's worked several times um, with Brie Larson. Uh, and it's going to be starring uh, Toronto's own Simu Lee and Aquafina. And it's coming out in February 2021. Do you know anything about this that you can sort of touch upon? Um, all I know is from video games, uh, Shang-Chi is the master of Kung Fu and was pretty much written as just a, like a, a way to draw in more audience and really, really just have like, um, kind of have the seven samurai, um, style in the comic book. And I think that's the type of movie we're going to get sort of like a fantastical, um, crouching tiger, hidden dragon type of movie, because that's what the character was written as. That That's really exciting. I find it really interesting that, uh, they they went for in the world of, of Hollywood a relative unknown unknown sorry uh, to be their lead in Simu Liu um, who is most well known for being on Kim's Convenience if you're up here in Canada and it's funny every time I, I've I've watched the show I'm always like that guy is way too jacked to be working in a convenience store what is he doing uh, and sure enough he's a superhero. No. Yeah, it, I mean, it makes it makes sense. And something I do need to comment on, as, as I notice, I appreciate that the names of the movies in this phase are getting a bit more funky. Mm -hmm. Not like Black Widow and Eternals, but like they could have just called this Shang-Chi or they could have called it Shang-Chi Master of Kung Fu, but they're going with the full Shang-Chi and the Le Legend of the Ten Rings. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And I, I think this is definitely going to have a, a hard comedic bent to it between Simu and Aquafina being the leads in it you know that there's going to be some some serious humor going on between the two of them definitely i think it's going to be i think it's just going to be a, a fun a, definitely a fun movie mm -hmm. i'm really excited to see this one this is probably one of the ones i'm most excited to see uh and and it's going to be really interesting especially with maybe following on the the back of um crazy rich asians where you were able to have this really big ensemble cast made up entirely of uh of, of asian actors and they're gonna go full bore into this as well with both the stars and the director being of asian descent as well i think that's the plan for sure mm -hmm. and it really sort of opens themselves up to all these markets which are going to be very passionate wanting to support it if this movie is good much in the same way that people were so excited about the release of a movie like crazy rich asians to come out that it seemed like everyone was going out to see it yeah exactly 
the next one after that is going to be uh, our first sequel of the lot, and that's going to be uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And Scott Derrickson is returning to direct. He did the first uh, Doctor Strange movie, and Benedict Cumberbatch and Benedict Wong are returning. And it looks like we're going to get Elizabeth Olsen in this movie, who plays Scarlet Witch, uh, sort of really combining all the people that have magic powers into one film. And it's going to be coming out in May of 2021, just a, a few short months after Chang-Chi movie, the Chang-Chi movie. And it's being billed as the first horror film in the MCU. So just hearing that, it really kind of piques my attention. Oh yeah, this this is this is. I mean, if there wasn't a Thor movie in this phase, this is going to be the best movie of the phase. Mainly so that I can get another two hours of uh, Benedict Cumberbatch struggling to have an American accent because that's the best part of the first one. Um, but also, like, I love Scarlet Witch, like Elizabeth Olsen um, as Wanda in in all the movies. She barely gets to do anything. I think between WandaVision and uh, her show, which we'll talk about later, and this, there's gonna be a lot more opportunity just to like go wild with the magic. And also, we know they're they're calling it the first scary MCU movie. It's not gonna be that scary. Um, it's it's still like they still have to kind of stay within the, the bounds of the MCU where in theory anybody could go see these movies. Mm-hmm. I, I believe almost all of them have been rated PG. Uh, I think there's been a couple PG-13s if, if I'm remembering correctly. But yeah, at most this is going to be a PG-13 movie and, and horror films that are PG-13 rarely are, are truly scary. Exactly. But just the thought of that definitely has me really interested. I think the Doctor Strange character probably bodes well for this because you can do so much of the fantastical elements that would have a hard time being grounded in other films. And between him and uh, the Scarlet Witch character, the two of them really work well in sort of being able to explore those possibilities. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to be, I think it's, it's good. Like it fits really well in the three films they have planned for, for 2021, like after Shang-Chi and before the next Thor as well. Mm -hmm. Speaking of which, uh, the next movie coming out is going to be Thor Love and Thunder, which is quite the interesting name. Taika Waititi is returning who directed Thor Ragnarok, and this is going to be his second directorial effort in the MCU. Chris Hemsworth is back. Tessa Thompson is back and coming back after being absent from the last film is Natalie Portman and that's coming out in November 2021 and this movie seems really interesting because they've got so much going on because uh, at the end of Thor Ragnarok Tessa Thompson who plays Valkyrie was made king of the Asgardians even though Asgard has no longer exists so that's going to be something interesting that's going on Uh, it was hinted in a deleted scene of Ragnarok that Valkyrie is actually a lesbian but this is going to be much more um widely acknowledged in this film and then natalie portman is coming back and is supposedly taking up the mantle of thor from chris hemsworth so it's going to be really interesting with so many different things and i think having taika waititi who was able to set up ragnarok with this really offbeat humor come back and do something that could be something really scathing as far as the way we look at toxic masculinity or anything like that is the perfect person to to partner with Thompson and Portman to bring this movie. 
Yeah, I think it, I think it's honestly like Taika Waititi just unlocking the comic potential of Thor really made Ragnarok one of the best films in the MCU, in my opinion. And um, the the uh, the the fe- female version of Thor, um, the Jane as Thor, is one of the best kind of. It was a, it was a short. It was only a few years in the comics, but it was a very interesting kind of portrayal, both of of like. The idea is anyone can be Thor, but it's also what happens to um, regular Thor, who goes by Odin's son in the comics during that time period. What happens to him and sort of following on on his journey in, in Endgame? I think that there's a lot of really, really great potential just to make this a great, almost like a like a, a team, like a buddy cop of like Thor, Jane, and and Valkyrie just doing stuff around the galaxy and just having fun. I think it's like it says a lot that this is the only. Move. This is the only series that's getting a fourth entry, and potentially more. Like, for, there's a lot of people talking about um, Thor joint, jumping in on the next Guardians movie, which is further down the road as well. Mm-hmm. It, it was funny, you know, after uh, the Dark World, which was the second Thor movie, it looked like for sure his solo movies were completely toast. And it took a while to get back into it. And we, people weren't really sure what was going on. And then we always knew Hemsworth had this comedic ability and he had some great one-liners but he didn't have the script to really back it up and then Waititi gets brought in who is one of my favorite directors and just gives such a jolt to the franchise that I would wager that most people would put Thor as one of their favorite characters in the entire MCU because of the direction that the two of them took this character and I think the the possibilities are sort of endless and from everything that I've heard has absolutely reinvigorated Chris Hemsworth to wanting to keep doing Marvel movies for as long as YTT and the quality of this character are kept up, basically. Yeah, and I think I think that's it, it'll p- play a lot into how the next phase sort of plays out. I'm really excited for sure. Uh, the next one that we know coming out. Uh, is going to be the sequel to Black Panther. All we know right now is it's called Black Panther 2. Ryan Coogler is back writing and directing it. We don't know. There's no confirmed attached stars, but I am sure that most of the original cast, including Chadwick Boseman, will be involved. And it is coming out way down the line in May 2022. This is going to be really interesting. How do you top the only MCU movie to get serious Oscar nominations. It was nominated for Best Picture. It had a whole slew of other award nominations going for it. It tapped into a real zeitgeist as far as the way black people are represented in these types of movies. Where can they go from here? I actually think uh, I'm going to go into spoiler territory a bit. So anyone listening who has not seen Spider-Man Far From Home to the very, very, very end, I, I am giving you fair warning. Dakota, this is have you? Me. No, I'm not. I okay, well, this this isn't a huge. Th- I'm not going to say too much, but still, <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure Black Panther Two is going to be the quote unquote event film of this phase. As far as what's been said by Kevin Feige is that Black Panther is the end. Black Panther Two is the end of Phase Four, meaning that between these movies and and the TV shows, there really is no team up. Um, which also I think means characters are going to go across the shows, but or the movies. What I do think is what they'll do with Black Panther Two is start the groundwork for um, a storyline from the comics called Secret Invasion. Um, I won't say more than that then because you haven't seen uh, uh, Far From Home. It's, it has nothing to do with Far From Home. It's the it's the bumper at the very 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 end, um, like the last one after the trailers, sort of lays the groundwork for this. The next what will likely be the grand plot over the next probably ten years of movies um, is nothing like 
it's not nearly as grandiose as what the last three phases have been, but it's sort of an interesting... It's an interesting plot line that I think Black Panther Two can do a really good job of, um, because that they have to they have to follow up on on that. I think there's going to be probably some storylines from the comics they'll pick on, and some kind of major pieces that might be a, a very subtle through line through the other movies that will kind of come back. Um, especially as another note as well, the Celestials created the Eternals, and the Celestials also created. Um, the vibranium that crashed into into Wakanda like uh, millennia ago. Um, so there could be some kind of connection that they draw there as well. Interesting. There's some deep lore for you. <laughs> would you say that this would maybe be on par with something like Captain America Civil War, which was sort of viewed as the Avengers 2.5, sort of a, a prelude to what might be happening? Oh yeah, I think it's gonna. I mean, Civil War was a better Avengers movie than a, than Age of Ultron was. So I think that that instead of doing an Avengers movie, which I don't think we'll actually see that name for a couple more years, um, I think Black Panther will have whatever its subtitle will be. Um, it's gonna have it's gonna be a Black Panther movie with connotations to the rest of the universe again, but not. I don't think they're gonna even bother with anything quite so universe shattering as the the whole Infinity Saga. Interesting. So we saw all during, you know, the first two phases, different cameos cropping up in all the films, finding a way to connect them all. How do you see phase three sort of connecting to one another? Because other than Black Widow, which is a prequel, so I doubt we'll see anyone that we know. And then we've got Thor and Black Panther and Doctor Strange at the very end of it. How are these films going to connect with each other? I think the best way to answer that question actually is the TV shows, which I know we're getting too soon. But I actually think because it's been made clear that the the, Mar- the Disney Plus Marvel shows are part of Phase 4, um, I think those are going to be the glue for the movies. So you you don't think as far as movie crossovers, we might not see people from the Eternals or Shang-Chi popping up in these different films? I I don't think so. There's possibilities for Thor because Thor has uh, the cosmic influence and Doctor Strange could could have some of that, but I don't think we're going to see it. I mean, if you look at phase four is the start of a new general saga. If you look at phase one, there's very little crossover um, other than little blips at the end of the episodes or even in, in like at the end of Iron or the movies, the end of Iron Man 2, all you see is Thor's hammer and that's it. Like that's sort of the, that's sort of the, um, the level of connectivity I think we'll see in the films. We'll see characters we know from previous phases, but I don't think they're going to lay the grand plot until Black Panther 2, but they're going to use the TV shows to kind of connect that a little bit. Interesting. Okay, so one of the other things that we heard that was rumored and then confirmed uh, post phase four is going to be the return of the character blade and really the only thing that we know right now is that uh, mahershala ali is going to be playing blade which i think is absolutely fantastic casting and 100 percent correct other than that there's no director attached writer attached release date nothing no story what do we make of that um, I think it was a, I think just it was a get. I think it's something they've probably been working on uh, for a little bit. I, I've read all these stories where basically both Marvel and, and Mahershala Ali were basically, they both had the same idea and didn't talk to each other. And when they finally did, they realized they had the same idea. So um, I think that that's, 
that's just I, honestly I think it's like it was decided super close to San Diego Comic-Con and they're just going to take their time um, I don't think Blade as a character fits in the MCU the same way as everyone else he's very violent um, and it just has a or he can be very violent he can, it has a bit of a darker tone they will make it fit um, but I think it's a, they're just going to take their time and let it kind of naturally f- come in I expect it around 2023 now you speak of violence and stuff like that, which I, I we keep dancing around this. It's going to come up again in, in the next segment that we're talking about for TV shows. And it's something that I think they're really going to struggle with, keeping the hardcore fans and introducing new fans because that character is predicated so much on on being such a violent person which is why they had the the netflix tv shows completely separate from the mcu because you couldn't have the punisher or daredevil as the way that they were depicted depicted in the netflix shows cross over to this movie world because i saw you know, joke comics about uh, the Punisher showing up and just shooting everyone in Captain America, just being, you know, gobsmacked by the violence that they're doing. So I have no idea how they're going to connect those two. I, yeah, I think they'll find a way. I mean, at the end of the day, they're going to, they're going to find a way with Moon Knight. (laughs) We'll get there. We'll get to Moon Knight because Moon Knight is probably way more violent than Blade or probably anyone else in the entire um, current MCU. So... (laughs) So my last question in regards to Blade is, why did they announce it now if there's literally no other information other than the fact that Mahershala Ali is going to be involved? I honestly can't say, I think, um, but I do think that there's like Comic-Cons every year and Marvel doesn't really have much to go back with next year because by that point... Um, only Black Widow will come out. Maybe they'll just have clips of these other shows, but they've already done at D23, brought out some of these actors and all this stuff. So I think Blade is something that there is a very hardcore fan base, and that's something that they can trot out on their own. Maybe at next year's Comic-Con, they announce the release date as like August 2022 or something like that, um, or, or later, and that's how they're able to do it. But I think it was just it was sort of just that kicker that everybody wanted, like an extra one more thing. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, So the last sort of things that we sort of know about for the actual cinematic universe um, is there's going to be a Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. There is some some weird stuff going on with that for a while where they weren't sure um, if that was going to be happening, especially after the, the director was fired, left to go make Suicide Squad 2 slash reboot, and then now uh, they're back. And so we don't really know what exactly is happening as far as timeline goes, but that's going to wait for a while. And then we obviously know there's going to be a Captain Marvel 2 because the first one was so successful. And then other smaller things like Marvel just acquired the characters for Fantastic Four, for X-Men. So is there going to be some sort of mutants movie? What's happening with Deadpool? All these sorts of questions where there is no timeline, no idea what's happening. What can we expect with any of that? Um, I think that there's going to be, first of all, as much as Kevin Fahey has said that, that all of Phase 4 is known, that may not be true. I feel like there might be an extra movie in there. But what I think that they're, they're doing, too, is laying the groundwork this phase with, with a bunch of new characters, and then they can intersperse in Phase phase 5, um, have the Captain Marvel 2, which I think will tie in with the Miss Marvel show a little bit. They'll have the... Um, they can bring in uh, the Guardians back. They can do they can do more of those kinds of of sequels. I wouldn't be surprised if they find a way to just throw Ant Man in there again because he was a big hit for end, in Endgame as well. So 
Um, I think that there's, I think that it's just sort of, the problem is they have so many characters now and they can't, they said they won't release more than three or four movies a year. And three is already a lot. Um, we had three, we had three this year. Uh, if you include Spider-Man three last year, three, the year before that, if you include Spider-Man again. So, um, and now with the TV shows that adds extra viewing, I think that they're just going to have to walk a fine line of, of their connected universe before they lose, start losing people. But um, let's not go down that road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have no idea what's going to happen. There's, there's a lot up in the air as it stands. They're claiming that the, the movies that we talked about is everything we're going to be seeing for phase four, it would make it the smallest phase of the three so far. And and that definitely seems hard to believe, especially if they haven't set up some sort of overarching theme. I know you you think that Black Panther 2 is where the the theme is maybe going to become a little bit more clear, who's going to be the big bad that they're going to have to face off against or team up for, especially now that Thanos was basically the biggest bad that you can get. It's really going to be interesting what they decide to uh, connect and bring everything together for. Definitely. But I think and you're saying that that it's the smallest phase and that's true, but they are being very they're trying to be very clear that the TV shows on Disney Plus are part of phase four so that they're almost like um, like six hour movies or set or 10 hour movies that are within the phase, which obviously different production values and stuff. But many of them are going to play into that overarching storyline, I believe, as well. Now, one last thing before we get to Disney Plus is we should probably talk about all of this Spider-Man nonsense. As far as I've been reading, and it's been really hard to follow at times, is as it stands right now, Sony was putting up the money for the Spider-Man movies, but Disney was having full creative control over them and was only receiving... I believe 10% of, uh, of, of the gross, not the profit, sorry, 10% of the net, not the gross. Um, uh, it's 5%. 5%, you're right. And then now they talked, Disney wanted to do a 50-50 split where they still regained, retained creative control and Sony said no. And then there seems some bickering back and forth between who put in the final offer and who walked away from the table. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, that's the crux of it. I think there's more to it than that. And I think that they're not, they haven't left the table yet either. Um, Disney is is playing hard, but I don't think 50% was ever their final offer. Um, because the truth is like that Disney, Disney's most successful property from a merchandising standpoint has always been Spider-Man by a, by a significant margin. So to them, they're not losing anything by, by Sony not making the movies. The difference is Sony will stop making good Spider-Man movies once Disney leaves the table. So um, it's, it's going to be – the fact is there's two more Spider-Man movies on Tom Holland's contract as well as however many other Marvel movies. They're going to get made. Um, whether – like they're going to get made and I think they're going to get made with Disney and I think it'll be – it'll probably be another – I'd say about three years till the next Spider-Man movie, just to kind of give it some of that breather now after the end of, of phase three, after far from home. And also for them to figure this stuff out, I think within six months, there'll already be a deal made. That's very interesting. Yeah. I, it seems like they're trying to negotiate through the public's attention and from someone who's been a fan of the current movies, like trying to decide between different billion dollar making companies I could really care less but the fact remains that in my own opinion Marvel has been the only one that has made 
good Spider-Man movies. Now, I know a lot of people have some fondness for the very first two Spider-Man movies with Tobey Maguire, and then there is the awful Andrew Garfield movies, but really, I I think there's absolutely no comparison that the Tom Holland Marvel-led movies were the best of the lot, and in my opinion it makes sense that marvel would want a bigger cut they're the ones that have final say they have shown that they are both getting the critical reception and the financial uh receipts as well so of course it makes sense for them want a bigger share of the pie yeah definitely i and i think i think we'll just see how it plays out yeah um all right so now we're going to move on a little bit we we've talked about it a lot but what is this Disney Plus and, and what do we know about it and, and everything that can go along with it? And then we're going to sort of dive into the different things that they've announced so far. So you know a lot more than this. So you take the lead, Sammy. Right. So Disney Plus, if you ha- if somehow you haven't heard about it, even though it's been everywhere, is Disney's long, uh, long in the works uh, answer to Netflix. Um, and to pretty much everybody else that, that has a streaming service. Um, the thing that Disney Plus is, is sort of trying to do that a lot of the other ones aren't doing um, is they're trying to, first of all, they own a lot of content. We already know that. They have all of Disney, all of Pixar, all of most of Marvel, um, a lot more of Marvel now thanks to the Fox merger, um, and all of Star Wars. So really it's just a, a source for all of those. Many people will be disappointed, though, because for a long time, Netflix in, in various countries, Canada included, had had a lot of those licenses. Um, and as of, I think, by the end of December, most of those licenses run out and they're all moved to Disney+. Plus. Now, as a person who will 100% be getting Disney+, Plus, that doesn't make me that upset. Um, and in, in Canada, the, the, the cost will be $8.99 a month or $90 a year, which actually works out to $7.50 a month for those who are keeping count, like me. Um, and uh, it also comes with a bunch of features that would be more common and more expensive uh, streaming offers from Netflix and others. Um, so it comes with four four simultaneous streams, uh, 4K. Um, it, it, the shows and movies that have it, it's going to have higher quality audio, surround sound audio and uh, Dolby Atmos audio. So there's a lot of additional features and a lot of what's being filmed specifically for Disney Plus is being as high quality as possible. But one of the biggest things for me is that day and date that something is released on Blu-ray or digital, you can get it on Disney Plus as well. So Endgame um, is out on is out on on video now. It's just coming out on Blu-ray and and uh, digital release now. And close to the launch of Disney Plus, you'll be able to watch Endgame. So eventually, that's how it's going to work. Um, so there's just there's a lot of buy-in for me as someone who collects the Disney the the 58 Disney animated movies on Blu-ray. I'm not collecting them anymore because Disney Plus is going to have them. Um, and I know it's one of those things where I don't own them, and that's fine. I own the ones I want to own. But really, it's a, it's a way for Disney to do what they've called for years, direct-to-consumer, um, in a way that sort of appeals to the taste. So they have a number of, of Marvel series as well as movies and other TV series for Disney Plus as well. All that to say, I'm very excited. <laughs> now, for someone like me who's a little bit skeptical about this service, for me, Disney has always been a brand that, for the most part, is geared towards younger audiences. Now, this is going to come up when we're talking about some of the shows, and we talked about it uh, previously when, when talking about Blade. Are they going to do anything to sort of cater to a more mature crowd, or are we realistically looking at an entire catalog that is going to be uh, rated general to PG-13 at most with maybe nothing else because for years disney has 
released films, you know, rated R or whatever, but through their subsidiaries. There's never been any Disney branded products that comes with a bit more of a content warning. And don't expect them here, as you said. I think it's going to be some really masterful work of making things work in the PG-13 world. Um, and I think that they're gonna, there's going to be a way for them to be successful with it. But it is, even if something's Marvel or Star Wars, it's going to be um, in inside of Disney+. Plus. So even with the new Star Wars show, The Mandalorian, it seems like it's a bit more intense, but they're going to keep it within those bounds. The difference, though, is that Disney now owns Hulu almost completely. So eventually what will happen once Hulu becomes an international brand as well, I believe that there's going to be those more adult-oriented pieces on Hulu because at the end of the day, Disney Plus will will get fans and will get kids. But if you want to get everybody, you need to do what Netflix does and have things for everybody. Um, and there's going to there's gonna be some, some of that missing. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, because I think for me that's the one thing is where – I don't mind, I wouldn't mind checking out some of the animated classics I grew up with, some of the TV shows coming out sound really interesting, but if you want to really hook me, you're going to need a wide variety, and I don't just mean, you know, the action shows having more violence or swearing or or nudity or whatever, but just general, uh, more mature content where, if you've listened to this podcast, I'm a bit of a, a film nerd, obviously. And so I want things that are a little bit more uh, riskier subject matters or, or things like that. And I know Fox's uh, Disney subsidiaries does a really good job releasing that. But if you're not also including that, it's going to be a bit of a harder sell for someone like me, I think. Definitely. And that's where having um, that's where it, it's one of those one of those services, I think, where it's just going to be um People are going to jump in for a month, watch what they want to watch and quit. And to be honest, that is a business model that's still going to work for Disney because they're releasing all their shows week by week instead of binge style like Netflix does. So let's say people really want to watch a Star Wars show. They want to watch all the Marvel shows. They'll join next summer for a month. Disney still gets their month of money, and that's that. And people can still get what they want out of it. And more than anything, um, it's it's it sort of works out better for some people. Let's say you know next summer you're going to have a bit more time. You're spending the price of a movie ticket, actually less than a movie ticket, to watch all this content. Disney knows, I think, from market research that that's still going to be successful, but they're still gunning for the cheaper entry uh, rate, like trying to start off as cheap as they can to get people who will stick with it like me. So they're, they're going to get the balance of both. That's interesting. I wonder, just you talking out loud there made me think of this idea of summer months are probably going to be when their peak subscriptions is because kids are home from school. Who's a better babysitter than the Disney Channel? (laughs) Well, exactly. And especially because so much of Disney Channel's years and years of past shows will be on Disney Plus from the beginning. It's actually some of the the, the vast majority of content is from Disney Channel and Disney XD. Um, The movies, they say, will take a couple years kind of for their whole catalog of movies to slowly get on there, which is smart because they don't want to inundate everyone right away. Um, But you're right, it's going to be it's going to be like any of the any of the, the, the major streaming, um, even CBS All Access, they see huge peaks when Star Trek's on, and then a bunch of people leave, and then people come back. And that's, and that's enough for their weird business model. I'll be curious to see if uh, I, I recently became a subscriber to the Criterion channel, and they will uh, sort of curate their selection a little bit. They'll have double features of movies that are already on there paired together. They'll have introductions. They'll have interview clips and things like that all done specifically through their 
Criterion service. I wonder if Disney will start doing that as well and we'll get a little bit more bonus features and interaction with the people, either stars or creators of the different movies and TV shows. I think what we're going to see, I've seen some people online talk about this. One of the ways they're going to do that is have sort of simultaneous launches. So, you know, like everyone sits around the TV at 8 p.m. on Monday to watch their favorite show. I think they're going to have things like that where it's like a Saturday, it's 5 p.m. Eastern time, but it's sort of the same hour around the world and there's a countdown clock and it actually launches so people can watch it all together because that gives a sort of Game of Thronesiness to it. Um, that like, cause for something like the Mandalorian, it starts on the first day and then every week it just goes up at whatever time it goes up, which is probably in the middle of the night for most of their viewers, but instead have it be something where people can watch together. And there's some sort of Disney app that you can all talk to each other on, which no one will use. Um, I think that there is some potential for that, but for now they're sort of just building up what they have. That's fascinating. Uh, all right, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we are going to talk about the Marvel TV shows and how they're going to tie into the MCU. We're doing a Another series, we've announced it already. It features two of our most iconic Avengers, Wanda Maximoff and The Vision. Lizzie Olsen and Paul Bettany are starring in it. All right, so before we talked about all the Marvel movies coming out in Phase 4 and what might be coming on beyond that, and as we mentioned several times, there's going to be a bunch of TV shows that they announce, and they are going to be a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, even though it's not going to be in a cinema. So it's really fascinating, and we're going to quickly run through them and what they mean and what we know about them. And the first one that seems to be launching is going to be The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And what we sort of know about it is it's going to take place after Endgame with um, the Falcon and Winter Soldier teaming up to fight crime. And as we know, in Endgame, um, Falcon took up the mantle of Captain America from Steve Rogers. And so that's going to be that. And so we've got Anthony Mackie uh, coming back uh, along with Sebastian Stan and then Emily Van Camp, Dan Daniel Bruhl, and uh, new into the series will be Wyatt Russell. It's going to be coming out in 2020, and it's going to be six episodes. And for me... When I first heard that there's going to be this slew of TV shows, I thought that they were really going to be diluting the brand. But the more I'm reading and the more I'm seeing, seems to be that these are going to be specific mini-series as a way to sort of explore the characters more, not over-inundate with us with too much. And you keep these movie stars happy by keeping the their work schedule very tight. And so just knowing that, I think it gives me a lot more excitement for the shows. And this one it could be very interesting because I think both uh, Bucky Barnes and um, I'm forgetting what Sam Wilson, I believe, is, is Falcon's name. Uh, both of them have sort of been underutilized, but when they do get their time to shine, they really do make the most of it. So this is one I'm really curious about. Yeah, all of the shows, it seems, are being designed, like you said, more as miniseries. I feel like they'll probably be successful. They'll probably get extra seasons. But really, what Falcon and Winter Soldier is is Captain America 4. Because in the comics, um, after the Civil War took place in the comics about 14 years ago or so, 15 years ago, um, soon after, right as the Captain America movie started coming out, Sam Wilson, Falcon, became Captain America in the comics for some time. I think he technically still is, and, and Steve Rogers is still just a different character, um, or also Captain America. Who knows? It's comics. But I think it's going to, like you said, it's going to be 
the thing is also the fact that it's six episodes instantly makes it way more watchable to me than even a 13 episode daredevil because um it, it's like you said, it's being written as sort of a, a cohesive six-part thing. Um, and like you said, also, it kind of it weaves weaves in a story that can be a bit more interesting and it can be a bit more, you know, they introduce the villain in the first episode, you don't know much about them, and then time passes and other things happen, and you learn more about them. And they and the biggest thing is these two actors were hilarious in Civil War together, and that's, that's I think, where a lot of this idea came from, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they've already joked about that's going to be a bit of a buddy cop show, and that's going to be interesting. But, um, yeah, you mentioned Daredevil being 13 episodes. When these Netflix shows first started coming out, I was so excited about it. I watched the first two seasons of Daredevil and the first season of Jessica Jones. And then I just kind of lost interest. And the first season of The Punisher, too, I believe. Oh, no, I just watched Daredevil 2, which is basically Punisher pre-season 1. Um and it was just so long. Luke Cage, that was the other one I watched the first season of. It was just so long where the plot would be going along for the first three or four episodes. And then there would be like six episodes of nothingness. And then they'd rush to wrap it up with the final four episodes where everyone just kept sort of dragging on. And you're like, what am I watching? And then I just sort of gave up because there's just so much to watch. And I think six episodes is a much more manageable season length, especially if we're dealing with, you know, 50 to 60 minute episodes. And I mean, from Disney's corporate perspective, these they're probably paying people close to what they pay them for the movies. So you're not going to have them, like you said, working for six months. You're going to have them on a, on a, on roughly the same amount of time as a film shoot because TV is a bit lighter to film. Um, and I think that it's just going to be. I mean, as far as we know, WandaVision, Loki, and probably Hawkeye are also all six hours. And I just think that that's the best, one of the best ways to do it. And I think that there's going to be a lot of potential there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Speaking of WandaVision, that's the next one that we know that's going to come out. This is also going to be post-Endgame. And it's going to serve as a lead-up to Doctor Strange 2, while also sort of showing the origin of uh, Scarlet Witch. We, we know she was first introduced in Age of Ultron when uh, her and her brother... Um, not Quicksilver uh, were introduced and we learned that they were experimented upon and that's how they gained their superpowers but they're totally not mutants so don't say that but wait now they own the word mutants so maybe they are mutants I don't really know Um, but it seems like the fact that it's going to lead up to Doctor Strange 2 probably means it's going to be a bit more of a horror-y element to it as far as maybe the tv show is willing to go and i think that really has some uh some real interest and one that i'm most excited about obviously elizabeth olsen is going to be in it paul bettany is going to be back um and then we've also got some other really interesting people tiana paris randall park kat dennings who was in the thor movies is going to be coming over to this and then the first real new person we're going to get is katherine hahn and this is going to be coming out in 2021 this is one probably out of all the shows is the one that interests me the most Oh, definitely. I mean, I've already said how much I love um, the Scarlet Witch. Scarlet Witch is probably one of my all-time favorite comic book characters. Period. And it was nice to see that see her kind of come to the uh, come to the movies. Fun fact: she's never been, as far as I know, she's never been called Scarlet Witch directly in the films. Um, she's just referred to as Wanda. And I think some of that has to do with Scarlet Witch being, first of all, as you've said, mutants, not mutants. She's technically a mutant in the comics, um, her and Quicksilver. And they're also supposed to be the kids of Magneto. And they have a huge 
there's this huge plot, one of my favorite comic books called uh, House of M, that where she basically kills almost every mutant in the world because she was angry, and it's amazing. So they're not going to do that in the movies, and I don't think they'll even work up to something like that. But I think that WandaVision, the storylines in the comics where she ends up with the Vision are kind of fun, and I think that it's going to be a really, really interesting and really fun show, and I think it's going to be the way that it leads into Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness will probably have a lot to do with um, really the explanation of how is Vision uh, around, considering he isn't alive at, at the end of Endgame, um, which may have just mu- as much to do with the fact that Scarlet Witch is considered, I think, in the top five of the most powerful characters in the comics. Um, she is what's called an Omega-level mutant that basically means it's limitless power. So maybe she somehow brings Vision back together and there's going to be all this stuff happening with it. It's definitely by far the, out of, out of all the shows originally announced, not including the new shows just announced. It's the one I'm most excited for. Interesting. Okay. Um, up next, we've got Loki, another character who died in Endgame. Uh, but this is going to be taking place during Endgame. Um, when Loki has stolen the space stone and all we know is Tom Hiddleston is going to be involved in it. It's also going to be coming out in 2021, but yeah, this is going to be an interesting one. Loki be- quickly became a fan favorite in the MCU as far as villains go, mostly because all the early villains kind of sucked. Uh, and he was not so much a villain as more of an anti-hero. And I, I do- I'm, I'm a little apprehensive about this. I'm not too sure why they're doing this other than capitalizing on the fact that Tom Hiddleston is just a popular person. Yeah, I'm. I'm. This is probably the one I'm least thrilled about, to be honest, because I think it'll be fun. Um, I'm not super keen on it, but mostly because there, there's a lot more mystery to Wandavision. Whereas Loki, like they made it very clear, it's set during 2012 in, or like not during 20, but he takes them, the stone in 2012, and then it's his adventures. I'm like, I don't, I don't love. I, I like when Loki and Thor are together. I don't really love Loki as like the anti-hero on his own. Um, I just don't like it. It'll be fun. It'll be fine. <laughs> as you can tell, I'm not thrilled. <laughs> the only thing I'm I'm a little concerned about is we know who Loki is beforehand and we know who Loki is afterwards. How much can they really introduce to this character during this TV show that we don't already know about them that will still be a bit of a surprise to us without completely ruining who he's been made out to be exactly there's very and and that's the whole thing it's like what it's it's the uh it's almost like maleficent syndrome it's you're taking what is considered one of the most evil villains in disney and like actually she's a good guy she was just misunderstood um and loki is is he's he's mischievous um but at the same time it's like if thor's not even in that which i'm sure he'll make a small cameo it's just kind of weird mm-hmm I feel this show is probably going to be rife with uh, with small little cameos from all the different actors. Like I could see them bringing back uh, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, for a small little bit part and, and everyone else that was involved and could probably have a little bit of fun with that. And that's probably just going to be one of the bigger selling points. Definitely. So moving on, we're going to have our first animated series. It's one called What If?, and this is one that really piques my interest. It's going to be a, an animated series looking at the events of all 23 MCU films from a different perspective. Jeffrey Wright is going to be the lead in this. And they've we've been basically been promised that every MCU actor is going to be involved voicing their own characters throughout it. And just this idea, you know, how many times have we we seen, uh, whether it's in the Avengers movies or the Iron Man movies or Captain America or whatever, and something goes down and you're just like, 
what are about the people that are kind of playing smaller parts? What's happening with them? What about this nameless thug that, you know, gets killed? What What's their sort of backstory? And I think that could be something that's really interesting and explored in a really fascinating way. And getting Jeffrey Wright, who has a terrific voice, is a really good get. I completely agree. I if if uh, if you ever watched the the '90s X Men show, which is seminal for our generation, you might remember the Watcher, um, which Jeffrey Wright plays, uh, showing up in a few episodes, especially in the Phoenix Saga, um, just as an alien with a cool robe and a very giant head, um, who makes also a brief appearance in, I believe it's is it Thor Ragnarok or Guardians Two, one of those movies. Anyway. I think this will be fun. Um, what I think the best thing they can do with this is it's 23 episodes, one for every movie of the last, uh, the Infinity Saga. Um, the comics, there's been what if, what if one-offs for decades. I think the best thing they can do is say one episode is 15 minutes, another is maybe 28, another is 32, another is 12. I think that's, I think it's going to be something, if they make it, they're all 30-minute episodes it may not be as fun um because there's only so much you can do i'm sure they're going to make a huge joke about the the rat in avengers endgame that opens the thing for uh ant-man to get out of i'm sure they'll do something with that maybe or because that's a big joke too so i think that that it'll be it's something i'd watch it's not something where like when it comes out i'm going to sit down and watch it something when i'm on disney plus and i've watched literally everything else then then i'm going to turn on and check those out Mm mm-hmm um, and then the next show that we know about is going to be a, a Hawkeye spinoff, and it's going to be post-Endgame, where Hawkeye is handing the mantle over to a character named Kate Bishop. The only thing we know is Jeremy Renner is going to be involved. It's going to be in 2021. And where we left off with him is he basically had morphed into Ronin, which is the sort of samurai version of Hawkeye where he isn't using the bow and arrow. Um, so I guess that's sort of the, the natural progression where uh, I can't remember the, the name of the character right now, but he is basically no longer Hawkeye because Hawkeye is a bow and arrow character. So that's the only thing that I can gather from all this. I, yeah, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be an interesting um, show. I think this is the one that sort of weirdly enough seems the most straightforward. It's going to be him finding, meeting Kate, training her, taking on a villain together. And I think it has the potential to be really fun. But I think the biggest thing is this is this is going to be a show where they're going to lean into the fact that this is like a guy with a sword and then the person he's training with a bow and arrow mm-hmm. up against these much more fantastical villains that are often brought up kind of like how Black Widow just shoots everything and kicks things and it sort of went beside Captain America doesn't make any sense. So, um, But I think what that's going to end up with is a pretty grounded show. Um, and I mean, Kate Bishop has been in the comics for a while as Hawkeye with regular Hawkeye still existing. So it's a good, I think for, for if nothing else, it's sort of Jerry, Jeremy Renner being like, well, I'm done with these movies and I'm done with these shows. This is my thing. Kate Bishop, you are now Hawkeye. Go, go be an Avenger or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that, that sounds about right. If this takes on a more of a seven samurai, you know, Japanese samurai style of show, that would definitely catch my eye right away. I think that the potential is definitely there. Mm-hmm. Because I love, I, I really do love when Marvel goes more genre style. And I think that would be a really cool way because we kind of saw that a bit in Endgame when Hawkeye became Ronin without really explicitly saying that. They just didn't refer to that. So it was only really the super fans that, that knew what was going on for that. 
Uh, but I loved it anyway. <laughs> uh, the next show that we know about is one called Miss Marvel. And this is after Carol Danvers gets promoted to Captain Marvel, uh, Camilla Khan, a teenager who is a Muslim from New Jersey, becomes Miss Marvel, essentially her apprentice. And so this is one that's going to be really interesting. We don't know much about it. Alison Brie hasn't formally been attached to it, but I have to imagine she is going to be involved in it and maybe in some sort of a limited capacity and use as a lead up to uh, Captain Marvel 2, as you suggested earlier. Is this one that, that you think is going to be one worthwhile or is this just sort of filling the crop of shows? Um, I think this is this is a bit of both. Miss Marvel's an interesting character, the, the new Kamala Khan, because she was introduced um, only a few years ago. And uh, interesting enough, she is inhuman, um, which I don't think they're going to they're going to touch on at all, um, because inhumans uh, gain their powers thanks to Kree technology, which Captain Marvel in the first movie also got. So a couple little things in Captain Marvel, um, Carol's never called Captain Marvel, but it's a it, there's a reference is made in Endgame, which I find really funny. So just somewhere along the line, she acquired the name, much like how in Wonder Woman or in in um, in any movie that Wonder Woman's been in, she hasn't been called Wonder Woman. Um, anyway, so in the comics, Carol Danvers is Miss Marvel with the same powers for about like four decades then she becomes captain marvel when the other captain marvel retires and so kamala khan um who suddenly gains her powers and is a huge fan of carol danvers becomes miss marvel and by carol danvers like support basically says you are now miss marvel so they're definitely going to work in allison brie um there's also been apparently uh kevin Feige specifically said that that um that miss marvel will get into the films eventually maybe just even as a small character or as, or as an actual sidekick in the next Captain Marvel movie, although Captain Marvel is so overpowered and Miss Marvel is stretchy, so I'm not really sure where that would fit. Um, but I think it'll be fun. I think it's going to be 100% a teen, like a show set in high school type of thing. Not going to be quite ground level like they try to make Spider-Man, um, but more just like probably a bit of an origin story. She's discovering her powers, and then she gets to meet her idol, which is Captain Marvel, and hilarity ensues. And I have a feeling this is totally a shot in the dark guess, but um, they'll find a way to get Squirrel Girl in here because there there is some a bit of crossover if they they kind of make like a teenage version of Squirrel Girl who is um, one of the most ridiculous and also most fun Marvel characters. Interesting. That's uh, that's not something I would expect from uh, from that, but you know we'll we'll see sort of how it goes. I think by the time Miss Marvel comes out we'll have a much better idea of sort of what to expect from these Disney Plus TV shows. Yes, definitely. So moving on, we've got one that you mentioned earlier, one called Moon Knight. Now, I tried reading a bit of the Wikipedia entry on this because there's no other information really about it. And all I kind of know is that he's like Batman, but with multiple personality disorder and Dracula owes him money. That's <laughs> all you need to know is that Dracula owes him money. Um, at the at the end of the day, uh, Moon Knight isn't even just Batman with, with multiple personality disorder. He's just Marvel's Batman. And I know I'm I'm sure there's Moon Knight fans that'll be pissed about it about the, me saying this, but really it was it was Marvel didn't have a character in the vein of like the the noir great detective that Batman usually is just never is on film. Um, but uh, and so they kind of created this Moon Knight character as like a, a very mystical backstory, but really he's just ultra violent and loves punching. So 
it's going to be interesting. I think that the angle they'll go with the show because he is so violent and his his the, the multiple personalities sort of results in some personalities sort of being extremely like some of his identities being more violent than others. I think they're going to make it straight up a detective story because that's sort of the the type of thing he he goes into um, or he kind of gets into more. And uh, I think that they could have fun with it. Um, without it being, without going down the the route of being like, oh, this is an extremely violent character, um, and I think that they're going to get some noir in there as well. That I think would be really interesting, and it's going to be the the real test will probably come with maybe Falcon and Winter Soldier, Wandavision, and Hawkeye. Hawkeye, as far as how far they're willing to take violence, and will be a really good indicator of what to really expect from Moon Knight because. What I've been reading and my understanding of Disney, these just don't compute. I, I don't know how they're going to do this. I, I, I'm i just flummoxed about it. Yeah, I think it's it's also like, uh, it's really a, it, it, it's a complicated, it, he's a, Moon Knight's a complicated guy. And I think that, that this is very much, um, Kind of in the vein of Blade, actually. I think this is them going for a bit of a deep cut and going to the Marvel fans being like, we hear you. We want to get more characters out there. And Moon Knight apparently has been um, not even just Marvel, like the Marvel leadership. Disney's been interested a little bit. And I think just to kind of get on that, uh, be able to get into the this realm that they haven't gotten into, that they don't really have the character. And he's also, he's super kooky. And like, uh, it's, yeah, he's just really interesting. <laughs> And that's why you, it's so hard to learn anything about him. Now, I, I made a joke at, off the top about all I know is that Dracula owes him money. Are they going to maybe incorporate this sort of monster aspect to it? Where I, Just by the, the couple frames I've seen, I would love to kind of have Dracula involved in the MCU. Uh, is, can we even expect this realistically or no? Actually, yes. I think this is the one show um, other than WandaVision you can expect to see uh, Scarlet Witch or Doctor Strange or other kind of of the, the 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 magical and like the monster world, especially because Multiverse of Madness, the Doctor Strange movie, is going to be more of a horror. I think it's going to be a bit of a monster horror, and I think that'll tie into Moon Knight a little bit. Um, my my bigger concern is how the heck they're going to introduce the entire Egyptian pantheon of gods into the MCU when they already have so many other kind of like of those ideas to work in, which is the origin for Moon Knight. So it'll just it'll be a smorgasbord. But I think that's also they announced it at D twenty three as if to say this is going to be a, this isn't going to be for a while. We're, we'll make it good. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, and then the last show that we know about, it was a real late inclusion, was going to be uh, She-Hulk. And all we kind of, I kind of know about the character is uh, after getting a blood transfusion from her cousin Bruce Banner, uh, a lawyer named Jennifer Walters becomes the She-Hulk. They've sort of played around with it. I, I mentioned this, uh, the very first Incredible Hulk movie with Edward Norton. Um, there was going to be some extended scenes where um, at the very end, Bruce is working in a bottling factory during the movie and he cuts himself and his blood gets into one of the, the pop bottles or whatever it is and someone drinks it and i know this because uh my good friend max toplin who's on the tv show suits filmed a part where he and his brother drink from this pop bottle and his brother gets seizures and and that's all we see 
And so it was sort of setting up this bigger world of Bruce Banner has this sort of infected blood that could uh, harm other people. And so I guess we're going to fully get this where there's going to be um, blood going from Bruce Banner to someone else and them being able to take on those powers. Yeah, I mean, the She-Hulk, what I love about She-Hulk is sort of just, it was sort of like, hey, what would happen if somebody had Bruce Banner's blood? Oh, they would get some of his Hulk powers. But, of course, she's also a kick-ass female lawyer. Um, which it, And the whole thing in the comics is that, unlike Daredevil, who's a lawyer and is pretty great most of the time, um, She-Hulk, because she's always green, is a superhero lawyer. Like, she focuses on superhero crime, and they have the potential to do a bit of a... Uh, to do a bit of a, I mean, I would love to see a, a, a legal procedural of just She-Hulk and all these very D-list Marvel characters, but with some other more more of the known actors and characters coming in and out as well. Just sort of like Law and Order MCU, basically. That, that'd be interesting. We, we kind of saw a little bit of that with Jessica Jones when there is the the character played by Carrie Ann Moss who is a lawyer and there's a little bit of that aspect going on but it's definitely going to be interesting maybe in the way that we saw Bruce Banner in Endgame where he was able to where, where Bruce and the Hulk were able to kind of live uh, simpatico with each other and the Hulk was finally able to speak proper sentences and he wore glasses and was much more intelligent things like that we're maybe going to get a little bit of that where if anyone's a fan of Saturday Night Live a little bit of uh, unfrozen caveman lawyer maybe aspect to it Definitely. And and one of the things with She-Hulk that sort of became something later in her comic run is that her transformation is permanent. So she's just always green and always has the strength, but has her kind of retains her own personality and emotional state and everything. And so I think that we'll get those moments where she might She-Hulk out, which is hilarious. Um, the other main thing, that, to be honest, I was giving this some thought of why they announced She-Hulk will be the last show kind of of this initial run. She-Hulk is technically the head of A-Force, which is a, an all-female Avengers, which includes Miss Marvel, Captain Marvel, female Hawkeye, Kate Bishop, Scarlet Witch, and a few other characters that aren't in the MCU yet. I wouldn't be surprised if they find a way. Maybe I don't, I don't think they'll do an A-Force show because that's a little bit too, like, I don't know if there's enough of a desire to have kind of an Avengers Marvel Disney Plus show. Um, but it'd be kind of cool they have enough A-Force characters to put that team in there somehow. Um, or maybe we just meet her and she's a lawyer who happens to also be the head of A-Force and she's all these other characters. But I think there's going to be a lot of connectivity kind of coming to a head by the point by the time She-Hulk comes out. That's absolutely fascinating. Now, this has me all really curious and excited to see what direction they take. It's very obvious to see where Falcon and Winter Soldier, WandaVision, uh, and Hawkeye really will tie into the, the, the film counterpart. But I think it's going to be more interesting to see how the other shows, the Miss Marvel, Moon Knight, She-Hulk, uh, also are able to sort of connect these threads from one another and... As you mentioned, maybe Black Panther 2 being the, the movie that sort of connects it all. Maybe by the time She-Hulk comes around, we'll start to see where the connective tissue for these all really come into play. Yeah, definitely. And it'll be interesting to see how right or wrong we were. Well, I look forward to seeing how this all unveils and uh, maybe I'll just have to borrow your password from Disney Plus to be able to check out a couple things before deciding to subscribe on my own. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much again, Sammy, for, for coming on and, and talking about all this Marvel cinematic universe and TV show and Disney Plus stuff. You, you really are the, the real expert on this and, and help enlighten so many things for me. I am happy to help. Great. Um, 
Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for making our theme music. Thank you to Aesthetic Magazine for presenting the show. Make sure you give the show a follow both on Instagram and on Twitter. It's at ContraZoomPod. You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Podcast Addict, really everywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, so please check it out and, and share it with everyone that you know. You can follow me at DGAPA or you can even just send me an email, uh, ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Let me know what movie or TV show you're most excited for and uh, I'd love to have a chat about it. Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.